Do you love coffee and Monero as much as we do? Consider making gratuitous.org your daily cup. Pay with Monero for premium fresh beans, and if you like what you taste, send a digital cash tip directly to the Guatemalan farmers that made it possible. Proceeds help us grow this channel, Gratuitous, and Monero. This week on Monero Talk is sponsored by CakeWallet. Store, send, receive, and exchange your Monero and Bitcoin safely on iOS and Android too. CakeWallet is open source, and you always control your own keys. And by Sweetwater Digital Asset Consulting. Connecting new money with old money since 2018. CakeWallet and Sweetwater Digital are trusted and verified by the Monero community. Monero Talk is also made possible from contributions by viewers and listeners like you. This week on Monero Talk. Douglas Tuman interviews the coding Jesus, a self-taught developer, crypto enthusiast, and prolific YouTuber. The two discuss his first job at the world's largest cryptocurrency derivative exchange, BitMEX, how his attraction to personal responsibility and individual liberty led him to cryptocurrency and eventually to Monero, how El Salvador will expose Bitcoin's lack of basic day-to-day usability, Bitcoin maximalism and the problem with trying to fight change since change is inevitable, his opinion on the FedCoin, and if Monero will in due time become a legal tender in a state. Monero Talk starts now. All right. Thanks for coming on, man. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you got to tell me what kind of uh, video equipment you have over there. It's uh, it's looking good. Good lighting, the whole deal. Yeah, I mean, I have uh, natural lighting coming in from uh, the windows of my uh, apartment. Just natural lighting coming in. I have a Canon EOS M50 here with some webcam live streaming uh, setup, as well as just a microphone sitting on my desk right beside me. It's pretty basic, but uh, it looks pretty good given the yeah. quality of the camera. <laughs> how long have you been um, streaming? Like how long have you been doing this as a YouTuber? I've been doing YouTube for around, I would say six to eight months seriously. So one video a week. Um, and I'm not a full-time YouTuber. I just do it part-time. Full-time, I'm a quantitative developer. So I write C++ and C Sharp at the firm that I work at, which focuses on developing uh, algorithms and server and client applications for, for trading. And um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, so I've, I've been watching. So, so I discovered you through Monero. Like I discover most things these days since I'm <laughs> obsessed with Monero. So that's been kind of my route to other things. Um, yeah, I was watching some of your videos today. You're you're uh, you're an interesting guy, man. Uh, I like uh, so you taught you self-taught coder, right? Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Self-taught developer. And uh, you've, you've done videos. I guess you do you teach people how to develop as well or? And not so much. I found that the uh, coding videos are a lot less receptive by the YouTube community. People aren't really looking for learn how to code. They're more looking for teach me about the quant trading industry. That's much more appealing than, you know, how to add two numbers in C++. Right, right, right. They want to actually build something that it, that achieves something that makes yeah. them money, I guess, right? Exactly. And that's actually one of the most popular niches on YouTube, finance, stock market, how to make money online. Those are the uh, most popular niches out there. How old are you, man? You're, you're, I'm, uh, how old do I look? Let's start there. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> 25. Yeah, 25. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. 
And so have you always been a software guy or obviously you're yourself taught, but of like, have you always been in that, that field? What was your field before teaching yourself how to, how to, my field before was, well, I have a degree in commerce from Queens university in Ontario, Canada, and I've never been really attracted to programming or code, but during my time actually working at the world's largest cryptocurrency derivatives exchange, BitMEX, I gained an appreciation for a, a programming language, a proprietary programming language called Q, Q or KDB, interchangeable. And that's where my real love for programming started. And we can get into my background working at a cryptocurrency trading firm as well. Uh, but at the time, I wasn't in a role that required me to code. It's just that I picked it up naturally while I was working at BitMEX. How did you get involved in BitMEX? Is that one of your, I mean, that had to be a, how old were you at that time? You must have been a, maybe time, even younger guy. Yeah, at the time I was 21, 22, and I got involved. By, sorry? So kind of your first real, real stint, your first real job? Exactly. It was my first real job. I got involved because I was very interested in cryptocurrency. I saw that there was an opening on BitMEX's website for a research intern. Now, while, my, while all my other friends were getting positions at, you know, top investment banks and private equity firms, I said, you know what, let's apply to something that I think is a growing and burgeoning industry. Let's go with cryptocurrency. And so I decided to apply. I ended up getting the internship in Hong Kong. They flew me out there, gave me a stipend, gave me a place to stay. I performed well in the two months that I was allotted for the internship. And then they said, you know, hey, we'd love you to join us and we will be hosting a, a graduate rotational program. So you'll be one of four graduates at BitMEX that will rotate through four different divisions for around a month and a half each time. And I gladly joined that program. I joined the program that involved rotating across business development, research, venture capital, and structured products. Now, so were you already familiar with crypto at that time? Were you already personally into crypto before you went over there? Yeah, I was already personally into it. I started getting into it in 2016, where I took a turn towards libertarianism, the ideas of personal responsibility, individual liberty. And, you know, 2016, I was, I think I bought my first Bitcoin in 2016 or maybe earlier, but I was on exchange in Shanghai, a university in China uh, called Fudan University. And I just decided to buy my first Bitcoin then. And since then, I've really been quite involved in cryptocurrency and the ecosystem. And that's how I got into it. And did you start off as a BTC guy, as, as most people do? Yeah, I started off as a Bitcoin guy. Um, I think that the roots of Bitcoin uh, wanting to create some sort of peer-to-peer -peer digital cash was what initially drew me into Bitcoin. The idea that you know you're fighting the establishment, that you are some sort of digital revolutionary was very enticing to me. Yeah, so I obviously came to the same conclusion. What what led you to that conclusion? If if that's a question that you can answer, I mean, how did you arrive at that? At the conclusion that Bitcoin that I wanted to no that that kind of the you know the the most interesting or I don't want to put words in your mouth but kind of the most interesting thing about all this is this I this concept of digital cash. Um, I really started to get into the concept of digital cash as that being the most interesting part of cryptocurrency because I started reading more like Mises and Rothbard, two political philosophers uh, that have a very strong inclination towards. Know, very limited government and I read the book by Rothbard called what has the government done to our money and that really set off the light bulb in my head as to you know monetary debasement fractional reserve banking being a form of fraud and slowly but surely I started looking for alternative forms of currency 
that I could invest myself in, whether that's my time or my money. Uh, that's when I actually started learning more and more about Bitcoin and being more interested in it. Because to be frank, I was actually introduced to Bitcoin, I think in 2010, back when I was in high school by a friend of mine who now works at Facebook and LinkedIn. But at the time, he was very into coding and development. And he was mining Bitcoin with a GPU uh, from his home. And he introduced it to me in 2010. I really didn't have the mind. I wasn't in the right mindset to really understand what it was. But I think he sold at like, you know, $14. He started mining at $2, sold at $14. He's like, oh, it's a bubble. I'm selling. So uh, he got out then. But that was my first uh, dip into Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. And then the idea really set in when I started reading more Mises, Rothbard, and getting into the political philosophy side of of, of cryptocurrency. And then so obviously, you know, not everybody that's, you know, comes with that same knowledge arrives at the same conclusion, right? So there's a lot of a lot of people that ultimately then arrived at Bitcoin. So what what why'd you steer towards Monero then instead of steering towards Bitcoin? Well we live in a world where there's constant competition and competition is simply a rhythm of eliminating competitors that can't keep up with current trends. Now, I believe in a future of cryptocurrency where there's competing cryptocurrency, similar to how we have competing real estate companies, competing stock markets, competing grocery stores. We'll have competing cryptocurrencies and the goal of a competing cryptocurrency is to provide as much value as possible and be as reflective of what money should be. Now, when I'm looking at the properties of money, I look at Bitcoin and I don't see the properties of money that make it usable for day-to-day -day transactions. First of all, it's public, it's not fungible, it's expensive, it's slow. Nobody's going to buy coffee with Bitcoin. It's just not going to happen. So, you know, when I see all these news articles about, you know, El Salvador is considering making it a formal means of exchange, I ask myself, where's that going to go? Because nobody's going to buy a coffee paying a $5 fee for that coffee. The, the fee is more expensive than the coffee, and it takes three hours to settle. And so when I'm looking at which currency do I think can compete for the title or which cryptocurrency I think can compete for the title of money, I see more promise in Monero than I do in a currency like Bitcoin. Yeah, I think one, one, of, the, one of the devil's advocate things to say would be, uh, you know, well, th those features can be added to layer two. And... Um, you know, Bitcoin layer one is good enough and layer two will be able to add privacy, will be able to add fungibility and, you know, we'll be able to scale endlessly and, you know, build all sorts of products on layer two. And you being a, a developer, I would think you would be more attracted towards that vision. Uh the way I see it is one of the things that draws me most towards Monero is its privacy. Now, something isn't truly private unless it's private by default. Uh, you know, let's say you add some layer two version of privacy, everything eventually needs to get settled on chain. You, you know, you can maybe open a lightning channel for, for keep it open for years, but eventually it needs to be settled on chain. And in doing so, you're now leaking information as to, you know, the end result of those transactions between both parties. I mean, theoretically, in the lightning network, you know, you can send funds between two parties in a channel forever, but eventually the end result needs to be settled somewhere. And so there's still a leak of privacy in terms of how much money you have at the end and how much money the other party has at the end. Uh, so the way I see it, if these features aren't baked into the protocol, uh, they're pretty much useless. Yeah, no, couldn't agree with you more. I just, you know, was uh, trying to see, see what your reasoning is there. And we obviously, I think, share the same. So um, you, you've talked about Bitcoin's fatal flaw. Uh, I think, you know, I think we both know what, what that is. You know, so it's, it's lack of fungibility. Um, 
one of your videos, I see you uh, talking about BTC maximalism and Michael Saylor. Uh, I particularly enjoyed that actually. So what, what's your, what's your um, opinion there on BTC maximalism and whether or not uh, it's, it's a healthy thing, it's, it's necessary, it's hurting the Bitcoin project. How, do you, how would you summarize that? My general take about Bitcoin maximalism, the way I like to see it is more of Bitcoin conservatism. Now, conservatism is the political ideology of making sure things stay the same. But we know that the tides of history will always lead to change. Change is inevitable. So by becoming a Bitcoin maximalist, what you're essentially doing is trying to fight change. We know that people that try to fight change won't succeed because, like I mentioned, change is inevitable. People that will succeed in the world, succeed in life, succeed in innovating are people that are okay with accepting change. And the people that really thrive are people that are willing to embrace change, understand the change that is coming, and ride the wave of change. So by becoming a Bitcoin maximalist, you're essentially being anti-change, and that's not a tenable position to take, especially in a, the world of technology where things are moving so quickly. Um, you know, we're on the tip of the spear in terms of cryptocurrency, and I don't think that in the next 30 years you'll see Bitcoin, maybe not even in the top 10 cryptocurrencies. It might become a shadow of its former self. And, and you know, you don't have, even have to listen to me. Don't believe me. You can believe me. You could not believe me. The free market will decide what people would like to use as cryptocurrency. And as I'm looking towards trying to predict what changes will come, which changes I should embrace, I just look at the darknet market. They already stopped using Bitcoin because it's not a tenable form of currency for them. Right. They're not comfortable with using Bitcoin. But what have they started to adopt? They started to adopt Monero. How did Bitcoin become popular? Started in the darknet, spilled into the mainnet. I see the exact same thing happening from Monero. We're going to start in the darknet. People are slowly going to start adopting it as a as a genuine means of exchange in the actual uh, clear net or, or, or the real world. And then I guess, you know, the devil's advocate there would be, well, it's you know, it's, it's not liquid enough um, and you know, the powers that be will just continue to make sure it doesn't become liquid enough. And Bitcoin will will, sl will slowly add the features necessary to fulfill that role as well. But Monero won't be able to achieve uh, liquidity. I think it's probably the argument that would be made there by, by a maximalist. We're seeing a lot. So we live in a, uh, or we work, when you talk about cryptocurrency, we work in an ecosystem that's cont cont continuously innovating and changing. Um, you have a bunch of people that are 80 years old in Congress. They don't even understand, half of them don't even understand, you know, how Google Maps works. So trying to convince me that they will somehow conquer Monero and be able to outpace the brilliant minds working on a project like this, to me is laughable. And, and you don't even have to take that, take my word for that. You can just look at what's being developed currently. We have decentralized exchanges. I mean, I've used BISC. I've traded Bitcoin for Monero previously. I found it perfectly easy to use, at, at least based off my current competency. Of course, that needs to develop for more retail uses. Uh, there's now atomic swaps being developed. And so there's ways for technology to innovate away from regulation. Regulation is archaic. It takes a long time to change, but technology is always moving forward every day, every minute, every second. Um, and so the way I really see it is we will innovate away from restrictions that make it prohibitive to use Monero. Recently, I saw that, I don't know if you caught this, there was a congressional hearing. Uh, They're basically talking about, uh, you know, the the concept of a, of a federal uh, Fed coin, essentially, central bank coin uh, for, for, the, for the U.S. dollar. Um, and there were a lot of arguments actually made in favor of it 
uh, offering uh, cash-like properties, uh, having privacy being one of its features, um, suggesting that that would allow it essentially to compete on the national stage uh, because, you know, America is the land of the free, the land of liberty. Do you see that being something viable that could uh, undercut something like Monero and basically making Monero's use case obsolete or even Bitcoin's use case obsolete? I see them as really two separate uh, evolutions. One is focused on essential parties, simply taking what they already do and putting it on some sort of digital ledger. Now, what that will actually look like, I'm not too sure. I mean, currently the banking system is primarily digitized. You know, we 99% of the transactions we make are most likely going to be digital with a Visa card or some sort of bank transfer. So there's already the digital infrastructure there for us to make digital payments. So I don't really see this as like a quantum leap from what we currently have. And, and I ask myself, will this change even be public or will it be some sort of change on the back end and our front end is still the same? We still interact with the financial system the same way. So, you know, while Congress can speak about it all they want, I don't think it's going to be some sort of revolutionary change that will change the way we, 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 we interact with each other and we pay. Uh, it might actually be worse because uh, they might actually use that as an excuse to phase out cash, which is probably the closest thing we have to uh, fungible and private currency in the traditional financial system. So I don't see it as a leap forward. I see it as a form of regression in terms of personal freedom and individual liberty because they're going to use that as a facade to start taking away uh, the cash system. And we're already seeing that with restrictions due to the bug. Um, you know, people are starting to use contactless forms of payment. And so it just seems like another assault on our privacy to be able to transact with cash. Uh, I always see Monero and Bitcoin as kind of in their own lane. I do see Bitcoin as a bit of a currency that has been a bit co-opted. Um, but regardless, I do see Monero and Bitcoin in their own lane. And what I see as kind of Fedcoin or whatever is just another, uh, I guess, like lipstick being drawn on a pig, really. It's just it's just another replacement on the on the back end of what is traditionally going to be the exact same front end. Does Monero ever get implemented as a legal tender in, in any in any state? I mean, we saw with El Salvador, right? They added Bitcoin, essentially uh, enforcing it as legal tender. Do we ever see that happen with Monero? I don't think so. And I'm actually not, a, I'm not, I'm, I don't say that as necessarily a bad thing. Uh, the whole point of Monero is to fight the establishment, to set itself apart from the traditional banking system. I think if the government's comfortable enough to adopt Monero as a form of legal tender, then there's an issue with Monero because Monero is never meant to curry favor with the establishment. It's meant to be in direct opposition with the establishment. So if Monero somehow becomes you know, widely adopted by uh, traditional exchanges that have high amounts of regulation or government institutions that would traditionally shy away from Monero, then I rethink my position on Monero as being the corner that tries to fight against the establishment because at that point in time, it would be accepted with open arms. Um, so that, that's really my take there. I'm not looking to be part of a project that attempts to gain favor of Wall Street or government. You know, I'm looking to use Monero to fight their influence. Yeah. What do you think of this th theory that, you know, governments may start to embrace Monero more uh, for the reason of at least having some data points, heuristics around it, as opposed to letting it, you know, uh, grow 
on its own off in the darkness. So, you know, uh, almost enforcing or suggesting that exchanges add Monero. Uh, so at least they can keep track of the, you know, the on ramps to Monero. Uh, I think that's an interesting case to be made. I mean, I, I think that would probably be the smart way to play it if you're a government rather than trying to ban it because it, you know, it's going to be as effective as banning weed, you know, banning weed doesn't stop people from smoking weed. Uh, it just makes it more dangerous to smoke and more expensive. So the, the smart approach would be to allow for Monero to thrive. So then government can maybe look at more centralized endpoints and try to gain some heuristics there. But I'm not really concerned. The reason I mention it is because, you know, when I was at BitMEX, I spoke on, when I was on the VC arm on the VC rotation, I spoke to the head of Chainalysis and I asked him, you know, can Monero, is Monero something you guys are looking to trace, to track? I mean, how much progress have you made there? And what he really told me is that they haven't made much progress at all. This was now a year and a half ago. So it's very possible they made progress in the past year and a half. But based off what I read online, it doesn't seem like they've been able to uh, crack it per se. And if private industry that's backed by millions of dollars in capital that has an incentive to actually be able to track Monero isn't making any head, isn't making any progress, then I don't think a government institution that can barely function is going to make any progress themselves. What do you think about the price of Monero and just the way it's been valued in the market? Obviously, you and I, you know, we we're seeing things one way, right? So in our eyes, Monero is, is a is a top coin, if not the top. Uh, yet, you know, it's it's lost among a sea of of shit coins, for lack yeah. of a better word. Um, why do you think that disconnect exists to this day? That's a really good question. Uh, you know, a lot of investors and a lot of people make a ton of money by finding disconnects in the marketplace and capitalizing on them. So, you know, I'm not going to be the one complaining. I mean, I'll gladly accept these prices if I think Monero is going to be a thousand, two thousand, four thousand, five thousand dollars in the next five to ten years. With regards to the disconnect, I, I think that a lot of people don't value privacy, and a lot of people think that Bitcoin is private. So, it, it's really our responsibility as a community to educate people to explain the faults of other cryptocurrencies and explain why Monero is a superior form of money. Because as I said, I think the market will ultimately decide, but if nobody in the market's educated as to this alternative, it's similar to a car company that has, doesn't have a marketing department, right? A car company that makes fantastic cars, but nobody knows about them. So, you know, I, I, me too, when, you know, when I see Tron surpassing Monero, it kind of stings, but you just kind of have to trust that the community is going to flourish because they are, uh, they are developing a superior form of technology. And even when I was at BitMEX, I asked them, you know, do we have a marketing budget? They didn't have a marketing budget, but they were able to become back then the top cryptocurrency company by volume simply because they had a superior product. Were there uh, a lot of people there that that I'm sure they were aware of Monero it being one of the earlier cryptos? And did they have opinions of Monero? Yeah, they they were primarily bullish on Monero. I think the head of research had a position in Monero. I think the CEO, Arthur, had a position in Monero. Um, I don't know if that's still the case. I don't work there anymore, but you know, they, they spoke favorably off Monero. So marketing, you talk about marketing and you know, I agree with you. What do you, do you think, you know, it, Monero will just do what Monero does and it will organically um, or and inevitably find its way to the top? Or do you think uh, there it's not inevitable and it's uh, a basically, the, it's the, the community needs to step up and make sure um, it you know reaches its its destiny. I think it, it's part 
part of it is the community. I think just another part is we need to be critical of um, the potential flaws of using Monero, and we need to not become a community in which we become blind to problems surrounding the cryptocurrency. Uh, I think a lot of people, like the Bitcoin community, for example, have become dogmatic. They've become, they've, you know, they've closed their mind to any form of open discussion or criticism. And if that ever happens to Monero, that will be a very sad day because, you know, nothing is inevitable. Monero will not always be, in my eyes, a top cryptocurrency. It will, it needs to earn its, what I'm getting at is it needs to earn its place in my eyes as a top cryptocurrency. So as long as the community continues to innovate, continues to build on the coin, continues to push for widespread adoption, then I think that Monero will eventually have its time in the limelight. Uh, it's just really a matter of time before that happens. It's one of the only cryptocurrencies out there that has continuously increasing tra on-chain transaction volume, continuously, uh, I think it's the third most developed coin in terms of GitHub activity. Uh, it has a series of different libraries, one of which I worked on the C-sharp library for Monero. And so I just think it comes with time, it comes with effort, nothing's inevitable. It all depends on how much we're willing to work towards building the community and spreading the word. What do you, so you, you did the video on, you know, Bitcoin's fatal flaw, I think you called it. Um, I often, I think, use the same terminology, actually. What do you see as uh, some of Monero's flaws? And obviously, I, I don't think you think it has a fatal flaw, but what do you see as Monero's major flaws or biggest flaw? Um, I wouldn't say there's one flaw in particular. I, I really like the, I think his name is Justin. He makes videos about, called Breaking Monero. Mm -hmm. um, there was one of the videos that I liked about exchanges being able to generate some sort of probabilistic profile as to whether this output that you've deposited on the exchange belongs to, I think it was Alice or Bob used, I forget the actual form of attack. I watched this video a long time ago and it was produced a while ago. Uh, but I think one of the flaws might not be a flaw in Monero itself, but maybe a flaw in Monero's marketing because Monero is marketed as an anonymous currency. Now, nothing is truly anonymous. When you use Monero, you're generating, you're, you're, you're obscuring your transactions. They aren't fully anonymous. They're, they're obscured. And that anonymity comes from that, uh, the ability to obscure your transactions. Now, Monero's use depends on your risk profile. And this was even mentioned in some breaking Monero videos. You know, maybe if you're in North Korea, maybe you don't want to use Monero because maybe there is a form of attack on Monero as displayed in one of uh, Justin's breaking Monero videos that can, even though they're able to generate a, a, a probability profile of whether you are the actual person spending that Monero of 50%, maybe North Korea, that 50% can get you killed, right? So uh, Monero, I wouldn't say that I don't. I don't. I think one of the flaws that uh, the Monero community has per se is that it's mar it's marketing Monero as an anonymous currency, um, when in fact it's not fully anonymous. It's as close as possible to anonymous as you can get, um, at least as what's available today. Now, one thing I'd like to see is larger ring sizes. I think we're currently at eleven. I read a paper. I wasn't sure as to the integrity of of the actual paper itself, but I read a paper that uh, mentioned that a ring size of eleven is is statistically too small and that a ring size of you know 100 or more maybe even i think they mentioned a thousand uh would really provide that true degree of obscuring your transactions that that would make people more comfortable using monero now 
it's been a while since I read the paper. Maybe some changes will be made. Maybe some changes are scheduled to be made. Uh, but based off what I've read, it seems like the ring size of 11 is too small. I'm open to you know having my mind changed. I'm open to being wrong. Um, this is just something that I've heard and something that I've read about a little while back. So if I was to just summarize my two like little fatal flaws here, one would be probably we need a higher ring size. And two would be that we're maybe marketing Monero as a fully anonymous cryptocurrency, when in fact, we should probably be marketing it as a currency that tries to get, tries to help you become as anonymous as possible. Do you think, uh, all, all great points. Um, I have so many things I want to ask you. So like, I want to get back to auditability because I think that's like a big flaw that, that people point out. I want, I'm curious if you think that is, um, and I had another thought and now I'm losing it. You're, you're we can saying, start with auditability. Wait, but you're saying the rinks, you, rink size and what was your, your other point there? A ring size and marketing Monero as like a totally anonymous currency. A marketing. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, do you think it's fair to market Monero as fungible? Yeah, I think it's fair to market it as fungible. I think we've reached a degree of, um, I think we've reached a threshold by which the statistical profile that somebody would have to build to check whether you are indeed the spender of those outputs uh, would have to merit that those outputs to begin with are fungible. Uh, otherwise he would know that, you know, you are the person that spent this because this output isn't fungible because he's able to tie it back to you. But simply due to the fact that nobody can really tell if you are the spender of Monero, they have to build a probabilistic profile with regards to if you are the true spender already tells me that there's a degree of fungibility baked into Monero that's much stronger than other protocols. Do you think so? Obviously, you know, you're pointing out the fact that it's not perfectly anonymous. And, you know, I agree with you. I think uh, I think what what makes up for that or, uh, you know, hate to sound like a, a constant Monero maxi, but is the fact that it's it's willing and uh, always working towards uh, evolving to to be perfectly anonymous and perfectly private. And it sees it as a continuous fight. But do you think it's the best form of digital cash we have right now? Or do you think there's other projects that are competing and maybe potentially doing digital cash better than Monero? There are, there are other projects out there. I mean, I've heard of Grim, I've heard of Mimblewimble, um, Grim or Grin, I, I think it might be Grin, uh, and then Mimblewimble. Uh, Zcash is a competitor out there. I'm just, uh, I'm very skeptical about Zcash for a couple of reasons, but I think that Monero is currently the top contender in the privacy category. And I don't even like to think about it as privacy. Money should be private by default. You don't wanna walk around with your bank account you know, right above your head outside. Nobody would be comfortable doing that. So the way I like to see it is Monero is a cryptocurrency and all other public blockchains are surveillance coins. That's the way I like to think about it. I agree, I agree. What do you think of um, the ransomware? I guess we could get back to audibility too. But um, you know, we've, we've seen ransomware blowing up in the mainstream. It's becoming uh, another way for mainstream people to become more aware of crypto, um, but unfortunately in a negative way. But what do you think of the fact that, well, I guess one, uh, that, that, that most recent event where you know, Bitcoin was used instead of Monero uh, and because of it, essentially the hackers were 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 caught um there was rumor that that might be a false flag event just what's your opinion there why are hackers still using bitcoin will they just completely shift over to monero what's going on with ransomware and bitcoin versus monero there 
we're starting to see a growing trend of ransomware or payment for uh, payment for two hackers as a result of ransomware moving towards Monero. I think we saw that with the recent pipeline in the Baltics. I forget what the pipeline was or where it was, but I know that the anchor on Bloomberg said, you know, they've been paid in Monero. I know that there was another kidnapping of one of the Norway's richest men's wife, and they wanted Monero as payment. Uh, there will be people that are still going to accept Bitcoin for committing these, these acts. But I think at the end of the day, there's going to be a large shift towards Monero and the people left behind, the people stuck on Bitcoin, well, they're going to get caught eventually. And that will just reinforce the shift to Monero for other future actors that would like to hold people for ransom or hold security information for ransom or hold pipelines for ransom. So yeah, there's going to be some players that are a little, a little lazy by not using the, the latest and greatest in terms of technology. But uh, eventually due to other people seeing that they have come to their demise, they will also, that will act as an impetus for them to use Monero. I mean, obviously nobody thinks ransomware is a good thing. You know, uh, I'm certainly not pro ransomware by any means, but how do Monero people thread that needle uh, of saying, you know, yes, obviously it's, it's ransomware is bad. Unfortunately, Monero is being used and will probably be used more for those purposes. But what's the argument there to say, but we should be okay with Monero despite that? Well, the way I see it is like freedom is ripe for abuse. There are going to be actors in a free society that will break the rules simply because they've been given the freedom to do so. You know, when we're born, we're born free individuals and we can make choices in life. And those choices can lead to various consequences. If we were born and we were all put in jail cells, nobody would be free. At the same time, nobody would be secure. Maybe crime would be less, but is that really a world that you want to live in where you're shackled to some wall and you're just fed rice and water, right? So in order to be able to, to thrive and live and work in a free society, you're going to need to be able to deal with those hostile actors. Should we do anything about them? We shouldn't do anything about them on the protocol level, but if they are caught for committing illegal crimes or committing crimes, then they should be persecuted based off the legal system in the country that they've committed that crime in. You know, I think there's actually another way to look at it. The fact that criminals are willing to adopt Monero to me is a testament to Monero's strength because it shows that Monero is a superior form of money for people whose lives are literally on the line committing these offenses. Now, I'm not saying that the offenses they're committing are justified. All I'm saying is that they're willing to use Monero as the go-to currency to be able to protect their criminal activity, meaning Monero, is good. if it's good enough for them, then it would be good enough for me. That, that's kind of the way that I see it. Right, and when they use Bitcoin, it, 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 it fails them. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's obviously it's a tough argument. Uh, you know, once again, we agree, but um, it's it's going to take time for the rest of society to appreciate that, and we're going to be up against propaganda in in the other direction. But do you right. think ultimately we win that fight, particularly in the U.S. in the U.S.? Do you think it becomes acceptable for, despite its, uh, you know, the fact that it'd be used for nefarious purposes? I think I think we can win the fight. I mean. 99% of crime currently that is financial, it's primarily done with cash. So are we going to outlaw cash simply because, you know, there are, there's a, an underground economy in which people use cash to, to transact? It doesn't make sense to me. You know, Monero, think about what percent of financial crimes are done using Monero. 0. 0.00000001 in the aggregate. So by targeting Monero, it's really just a scapegoat for government to either crack down on people's freedom or 
you know, use it as a facade while they write some other bills to screw you, you know, in some other chamber and, and that never makes the news. So it's really, um, I don't think that it's, I don't think that it will make sense to use as an argument that Monero is somehow exclusively nefarious. But then again, politicians are primarily, you know, idiots. So who knows what, what will, what will end up happening. I ran for office, but I couldn't agree with you more. Right. <laughs> um, so what, uh, what do you think about, uh, I, wa I wanted this to switch up topics here a little bit. Um, let's, let's just jump to something actually complete, completely different for a sec. Sure. Are, are there other things that are, that you're really into right now? I mean, I, I was watching some of your videos. I think you're a really interesting guy. Um, obviously we completely agree on Monero. So I just wanted to see, you know, also how, how that mind is working. I mean, so you're, you're into quantitative analysis, uh, you're a self-taught developer. Obviously, you found your way to Monero. I'm just curious what else is, uh, you know, piquing your interest these days? What are, what are the things you're most interested in? So I'm most interested in not only just using Monero, but contributing to Monero. So I developed like a C-sharp library along with uh, our Bruner helped me a bit uh, as well. right, back to Monero. And then I'll tie it away from Monero. But you know, that, that's one of my interests there, kind of developing and contributing to the community. I'm also very interested in quant trading. You know, I work at a firm, a proprietary trading firm, and I really enjoy what I do day in and day out. I also enjoy things like running. I run often. I go to the gym. I just came back from boxing today, which is why my hair is kind of wet, as you can see. Uh, so, you know, above and beyond being involved in cryptocurrency, uh, I'm a guy that likes, you know, Things that other people like reading books. So I read books on political philosophy. I'm on horror, sci-fi. Uh, you know, I go to the gym, like I mentioned. I, I go boxing. I, I take weekly Chinese lessons. I've been doing that for the past six years. So those are all things that pique my interest that I like. I also like men's fashion. I'm, I'm big into men's fashion as well. You know, I'm here at home, so I'm wearing just some random T-shirt. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, a large portion of my, or not a large portion, but a good portion of my income is spent on clothes, high-end brands, you know, I recently purchased uh, two pieces from Vascara, which is a, a brand in New York City that I like a lot. So, so yeah. How'd, how'd you get the name uh, Coding Jesus? Is that, were you, did somebody give you that name or is that uh, something you so, came up with? So. Yeah, initially my channel was just my name. And then one of my friends yeah. says, you know, what will really help you stand out and will stick in people's minds is if you kind of build a brand or an image for yourself. And I said, okay, I'm Israeli, I'm Jewish. I'm darker skinned. I have long hair. I have a beard. Let's just go with kind of the Jesus look, you know? So, so, uh, I mean, Jesus was Jewish too. There, so there we go. I mean, you know, you kind of have all the ingredients you really need. Yeah. 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 Hebrew. He, he spoke Hebrew. So <laughs> yeah. The, um, the, the contribution you made to Monero, uh, what, what drove you to do it? I always wanted uh, to be able to impact change. And I always knew that, you know, trying to amass a critical amount of votes or change other people's minds wasn't a productive form of creating change. And you can go protest on the street all you want, but the state is going to continue doing whatever it likes as long as it seems, as long as it's politically viable for it to do, as long as there isn't 40, you know, 51% of people that disagree with it. And so when I'm thinking about how I can make a change in the world and how I can impact change, I think, you know, protesting, probably not going to get you anywhere. You know, uh, voting for somebody, you know, they're all liars and cheaters. And, you know, somebody that wants power over you isn't the person I'd like to support. So I said, you know, I, I have to do it myself and I have to rely on my own faculties to inspire change. Now, 
at the time I asked myself, am I capable enough to contribute to Monero's source code? Maybe I can contribute to some like the wallet, some code in the wallet. Cause you know, I, I write C++ at work. I'm, I'm, I'm very familiar with C++. So maybe I can contribute to the wallet. Uh, maybe I contribute to the RPC server, but I can't really contribute to the cryptography. So I said, okay, let, let, let's make that a stretch goal. The first thing I should do is probably a little more tertiary to Monero. Now I also write C++, at, uh, sorry, C Sharp at work. And I noticed there's no C Sharp library out there. There's a, you know, uh, there's a Java library, there's a C++ library, there's no C Sharp library. And a lot of enterprise applications rely on C Sharp. So I said, hey, I think this would be a great contribution to Monero. I wrote that library, spent a couple of weeks on it, a couple of weekends, all my time for free. And um, I ended up developing that library, pushing it out. I think today it has around 3,000, 3,500 downloads, which is great. It's actually used in some people's applications. And so I'd like to see where it goes. And, you know, I'm very willing to maintain it into the future. So if there's a large company that would like to build an application that uses my library, they can always reach out to me at my email. I mean, that's amazing that you did that, man. I, I, I mm -hmm. love that you did that. That's, you know, more important than anything else that, that's happening um, is people like you that are actually contributing and developing. So obviously Monero doesn't have a dev tax. What, what do you think we can do to, you know, continue to spur and support the development of Monero? How do we keep it active? I mean, you went out of, you know, through your own passion, you decided to do this. You weren't getting a paycheck for it. How do we continue to uh, keep that snowball effect going? Yeah, I think there's really three things. The first is making sure that uh, the project stays on its mission, that the technology continues to develop and that will attract people's interest. The second thing is just remaining honest and maintaining integrity in the community, making sure that the funds that people donate go to places that people understand where they go to. Uh, you know, there's a Monero development fund. And, you know, I think there was recently some controversy over uh, one of the members in terms of him being a full-time employee who decided he's going to be a full-time employee. I don't know what has he done. I'm not too sure. There hasn't been any reports. So, you know, those scandals, quote unquote, you know, can, can really damage the community, can dissuade people from, from donating. And I mean, I, I donated to that person's uh, CSS and hearing that person say that, oh, they need more money, they're going to stop development because the, you know, the price went down. That's not what I bought into when I donated my hard earned money to, to the CSS. So integrity and honesty is important. Um, so I said technology, integrity and honesty. And um, I think it's just making sure we can cast a wide net, attract as many people as possible, because the more people we attract based off spreading the word, the more people become familiar with the project and the higher likelihood is we'll be gaining a larger amount of people that would like to contribute in, in one form or another. It doesn't have to be through code. It, be through, it can be even as simple as, you know, running around and putting stickers on Monero stickers on, on poles somewhere to, to, to get people more engaged. Yeah, I guess. So what would you like to see people do? What, where do you think Monero is lacking in terms of contribution? What contributions would you like to see people step up and provide? Um. That's a good question. I'd like to see more applications built using Monero. I think that's going to be where we start primarily. Once more applications are built, that in, that opens a pathway for more people to use Monero. As Monero is being used more, it gains traction and that just snowballs. The transaction count increases. People start buying Monero because they're interested in what they can do with it. And then the ecosystem naturally grows from there. 
Uh, I've talked to some people that are on the development team and the uh, you know Freenode and the IRC chat. They all seem like great people. So we clearly have uh, very talented people working on Monero. Um, so that part's kind of covered. Of course, I'd like to see more people working on Monero. Um, but that I think that part's quite strong. I mean, we're the third largest community in terms of developers and contribution, which is nice. Uh, so I'd just like to see more adoption and more use case, more applications being built using Monero. Do you have opinion on price, market cap, where Monero uh, will arrive uh, on, on the market cap list? Or um, do, you, do you think about it in those terms? Do you have uh, opinions there? Not really. I mean, I don't check price that often. I think I might check price once a week, maybe less. I mean, I have friends that will just say Monero's price is this occasionally because they're more in tune to checking prices. But beyond that, I don't really have like you know a price target for the end of the year. I don't see it being far off that Monero can reach $1,000 by the end of the year or mid next year. Um, and I don't really pay attention to the price really. I'm just buy when I have you know spare money and um, just sit on my my coins. Do you, I, I didn't watch enough for your videos to know, but are you using quantitative analysis uh, you know, successfully in the crypto market? So I don't, I don't uh, build my own tools to trade outside of work. I work on server client applications at the firm that I work at, and we trade traditional financial assets uh, on the, you know, on the CME, on ICE, etc. So uh, I haven't built anything that trades Monero per se. I did build a Twitter bot that scans the Monero memory pool and just posts information about non-conforming transactions. I've since decommissioned that because. Uh, I need to be able to first build out more heuristics to analyze the memory pool before I can garner more valuable information. But to answer your question directly, I haven't built any quantitative trading based tools to, you know, arbitrage Monero prices across exchanges or whatnot. What were you looking to do with that information? What was the, the, the goal there? The goal was primarily education um, to just educate people that by including certain properties in your Monero transaction, it can, can become non-conforming and stand out. Now that doesn't mean that your cover is blown per se, but it does mean that your transaction stands out relative to other people. For example, uh, Monero transactions have an unlocked time field. Now 99.9999% of transactions have that set to zero, meaning that you don't, meaning that you don't have to wait to a certain block height before those funds are unlocked. But, you know, there was one point in time and my, my tool caught onto this and posted a tweet about it where somebody set the unlock time to one. Now, what does that mean? It means block height one, meaning the funds are immediately spendable. So not only does it seem like most people are using this field incorrectly, but it seems like it doesn't really have a, a very viable use case. So by, by pointing that out, I'm hoping to educate, or I was hoping to educate people now that the tool is decommissioned. I'm, I'm, and when, if I bring it back, I am still hoping to educate people as to how to properly create transactions to conform to traditional Monero transactions that don't use fields like unlock time, for example, uh, when creating a transaction. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, there's a good research paper about it. That, you know, there's only 12,000 transactions out there amongst the millions that, that use unlock time and like 90% of them use it wrong. So why does this feature even exist? Um, but yeah, that's a whole nother story. What do you think of this idea of Monero potentially being the second layer to Bitcoin or Bitcoin being the second layer to Monero, however you want to look at it, but just them kind of working in tandem. Um, do you have any thoughts there? Arctic Mine was recently talking about that. What are your, do you have an opinion there on that? 
I don't have an opinion on that. I mean, I've, I haven't really heard of that. All I know is people have been saying layer two Bitcoin has been coming out. It's going to come out. You know, it's going to be a mainstream adoption for Lightning Network by 2015, 2016. It's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. Um, Segwit came out. Bitcoin's still expensive. You know, so, you know, people are promising the world, but I, I just don't see that materializing. But to get back to your initial question, uh, I, I'm not too familiar with the whole layer. Bitcoin is being a layer two. From an era. Well, you kind of as more of the transactional currency. So people, you know, the idea being people store value in Bitcoin um, and then use Monero to transact. Well, if you know, if you read Mises, if you read Rothbard and you read about their theories about money, something can't be a store of value in the long term if it isn't used as a medium of exchange. So, you know, people can say Bitcoin is a store of value today. I think they say that because. They're trying to rebrand the image of Bitcoin because the original meaning of Bitcoin has been just such an entire, well, its outcome has been such an entire failure. It isn't used as digital cash anymore. So they use the whole store of value, digital gold. gold you know? Yeah. So that's like to pivot away from their failures of making Bitcoin into a transactable cryptocurrency. Um, nowhere in the white paper does it say digital gold. It's just a total marketing rebrand to cover up failures of Bitcoin. But beyond that, you know, money has to be transactional. It can't be non-transactional. Uh, so just saying, you know, I'm buy Bitcoin and I'm holding in the ether out there. I don't think that's a viable long-term use case for Bitcoin. It might work in a bubble of time as we're currently seeing it, but I don't think Bitcoin can be a viable store of value if nobody really uses it to transact. I mean, if transaction fees become a thousand dollars a transaction, are, are people still going to use it at all to exchange money? Or are they just going to hold it and say, I'm not going to move it unless I really want to move like $30 million? And even then, a wire transfer is cheaper. So what's the point? You have any other Monero projects you're thinking of pursuing? Uh, some, but they're more under the radar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, well, this was a great talk. I really appreciate it. Uh, I think I think we got a lot of a lot of information out there. We discussed yeah. a lot of topics. Where can people learn more about you? Follow you? Yeah, so go uh, just Google Coding Jesus or on YouTube type Coding Jesus, Coding Space Jesus. You can find my YouTube channel where I talk about cryptocurrency, quant trading, software engineering, career, code, etc. If you're in, in, into any of those topics, you can go check me out there. You can email me at vcodingjesus at codingjesus.com. And beyond that, that's pretty much it. I deleted my Facebook three years ago, deleted my LinkedIn three years ago, have like a dummy Twitter, and that's about it. Very cool, man. Living the Monero dream. Right. <laughs> Do you ever watch Monero talk? Have you have you seen the show at all? I've seen a couple of episodes, but I don't watch it religiously. Is there anybody in particular you would love to see on the show? Anybody like you you're you know, you you want to get into their their head a little bit, know what they think about regarding Monero? I would like to see a debate. Because I remember one of the videos I really liked that you made was with that Peter McCormack guy, I believe his name was, and he was yeah. uh, like what Bitcoin did. Right. I, found, I found really, really shocking is that this person has interviewed hundreds of experts on Bitcoin, but he wasn't even able to address the most basic points that you brought up about Bitcoin in contrast to Monero. I mean, what he really did was just say you're concern trolling, which is just a way to say I don't have an argument. I mean, if you go on a debate stage and say somebody's concern trolling, you immediately lose. So I just found that episode like super standout and uh really really funny and interesting at the same time but that was my favorite monero talk episode oh cool man yeah yeah i don't know who would uh who we could get that that would kind of also that could potentially top that i mean uh 
he's never coming on the show again. I don't right, think. Right, right. <laughs> unless unless Monero really starts to approach Bitcoin in, in market cap. Right. And maybe, I, I, maybe in a few more years. Right. And I think the whole Bitcoin maximalism will really start to break down uh, when I, I do believe Ethereum will flip Bitcoin. Uh, and I really think that's when you'll start seeing the delusion really come out. The Michael Saylor is just freaking out online and all the Bitcoin maximalists just breaking down. And I think that's an opportunity because I think people will start chipping away from Bitcoin and then we can pick them up as market share and, and tell them, you know, you've been disenfranchised, you've not disenfranchised per se, but you know, you've been deluded into thinking that Bitcoin will be top forever, which nothing is top forever. Uh, and you know, now you start to see that this is a competition and it's a race and Bitcoin didn't pass the finish line yet. It, it's lagging behind. And so if you want to join on or you know bet your money on a candidate that can become a top contender then take a look at monero maybe there's some other projects out there that are also uh great to look at as well yes yeah, so i'll leave it at one last question then so because that that leads to the question of well if bitcoin fails then they all fail because i mean uh you know i heard you make basically make predictions that bitcoin will not only fall to the number three, but eventually it's going to fall off. You know the front page of Coin Market Cap. So yeah, that's inevitable. Yeah. Do you, do you think uh, this idea that if Bitcoin fails, then they all fail is is false? And if so, why? How are you how are you uh, logically justifying that? I think that's like a really silly argument to make that if Bitcoin fails, all other projects fails. All other projects exist in complete distinction and contrast to Bitcoin. It's like saying if, if, if the top math student in a math class failed the test, then everybody else failed the test. I mean, I don't understand how, how people make that jump there. Every project is focusing on its own niche, becoming the best at what it can do. Some are competing against each other. At the end of the day, people are going to pick the most competitive cryptocurrency, similar to how universities pick the most competitive candidates. So if Bitcoin fails, that's on Bitcoin. It's not on anybody else. And if Bitcoin fails, it's Bitcoin's responsibility and nobody else's. So, you know, nobody's going to take the blame that Bitcoin failed. You know, if any, it's, it's simply Bitcoin's responsibility that has, it has not been as competitive as other cryptocurrencies in this free market of cryptocurrency. I mean, anybody can now launch, you know, an ERC-20 token and compete on, you know, their brand for why people should use that token instead of another one. So, like I said, if Bitcoin fails, it's entirely on Bitcoin. All right. There you have it, man. Thank you so much. Good talk. Thank you. Thank you for, for having me on here. All right. Ciao, man. All right. See you later. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode. We release new episodes every week. You can find and subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have an Alexa device, you can tell it to listen to the latest episode of the Monero Talk podcast. Go to monerotalk.live slash subscribe for a full list of places where you can watch and listen. If you want to interact with us, guests, or other podcast listeners, you can follow us on Twitter. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps people find the show, and we are always happy to read them. So thanks so much, and we look forward to being back next week.